0: Good afternoon. This is Alicia Bales. I am live in the MCOE studio here in Ukiah, California today. And on the line is Dr. Andy Corin, Mendocino County's public health officer, and Trey Strickland, our DOC manager here in Mendocino County. We are going to get to the Friday coronavirus update and Q and A. And you are invited to call in with your questions for our health officer and for our DOC manager here. Welcome, Andy Corin and Trey Strickland. Thanks for being being here on KZYX again another Friday.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you.
0: Really appreciate you being here and we're going to um, give just kind of a, an update on where things are right now with our local pandemic and um, I know Dr. Corin, you've been doing a lot of Outreach this week, you wrote an open letter to Mendocino County residents, and you also did a video with your deputy public health officer, Dr. Mimi Dewin, uh to try to address some of the confusion around the CDC guidelines and the state's upcoming uh june 15th relaxing of the rules that we've all been living under and the, the tiered system and all of that so do you just want to bring us up to date on on kind of let us know where things are and, and how you're feeling about um the pandemic right now
1: yeah well i'd love to <laughs> uh, let me just start by saying start the way i usually do with some of the data because that sort of fa- forms a foundation for conclusion. Uh, You know, globally, this pandemic is still ongoing, and it's on fire. Uh, The number of cases globally is 159,910,406, this is just a few days ago, and the deaths were 3.322 million, 3,322,294 in the United States. The coronavirus cases are up to 32,998,087, and the deaths are 587,082. So, the United States is still number one in the number of cases and deaths. So, India is definitely catching up. Uh, The California cases uh, have numbered 3,666,591 and the deaths are up to 61,513. This is as low as it's been in the pandemic since the very early days. The test positivity rate is 0.9 to 1.1%. That is the best since last summer. Mendocino has a bit of a different picture, however, although we led the counties in terms of our going to uh, the yellow tier, uh, on uh, May 19th, the average daily new cases, with a seven-day lag, was 6.3. And today, if you look at our dashboard, it's 7.11. Uh, the positivity rate is up to 2.4% for our tests in our county uh, last week, and that's a that's a lag for, for um, uh, of a week. Last week was a lag because of the lag. Um, the test positivity rate was 7.9%. So these are very high numbers, 2.4 to 6.3 to 7.9. So over the last three weeks, we've seen very high numbers, the highest numbers really since March. And some days we've had 15 cases uh, to um, uh, investigate and trace. These cases have nearly all been unvaccinated people. The ones who have been vaccinated have very minimal disease. (laughs) The total cases in the county is 4,147 among the Hispanic population, 2,026. We currently have, um, well, I think it's different on the dashboard because it's more updated than when I did this. But anyway, we had no, we have 66 in isolation and 97. Uh, uh, quarantined, and the deaths now are steady at 49. Nothing uh, to be happy about because these were members of our community. The hospital total now is uh, four in the hospital in Mendocino County, two in med surge, none in the intensive care unit here, and there are two in med surge. One in Ukiah. I'm oh, sorry, not Ukiah, but uh, UCSF, and that's due to a severe COVID infection that was associated with her pregnancy. And one med in Loma Linda, the COVID was sort of an incidental finding when he went down there for other illnesses. So we are really going up. We could call this another wave. It may turn into that. It uh, could turn into a surge. You never know when it gets that high to be called that. I will say that yesterday, our numbers of cases that were discovered, and they're not all discovered all at once, so it could get bigger, but the number was four. And we all went wow that's great you know but it's it's not good because it had been zero to two a few weeks ago we were doing really really well so that's the the data part uh but i will say um the other part of the data that we're very happy about is our vaccinations and uh let me get some numbers out the that. um so, yeah, we have uh, in Mendocino County uh, administered um, it's 80,000 vaccines total as of this morning. Um, and that is 59.6% of our county are at least partially vaccinated. And that's compared to 60.8% of California. Let me also say something else. Data keeps changing and how they pull the data changes a lot. Uh, this is counting um on the numerator the federal doses as well department of defense people in the prisons indian health service and the uh pharmacies also so this is the first time we've had some of that data available mixed in so those would ordinarily have pumped up the uh you know the numbers in our county because we can count more on the other hand the denominator was also changed recently to include the uh, 12 years and above so it's so you know so it goes up and goes down but we're steadily increasing, and uh, we're giving out the vaccines now. 45% of our county over 16 years old are fully vaccinated. 59 I'm sorry, 55% of those in quartile one, that's the people with the least resources, are at least partially vaccinated. And 57.8% of those in quartile two are at least partially vaccinated. And most of our current county is really in quartile two. So that's uh, very good. 44% of our Hispanic population uh, has been uh, vaccinated. And that's gone up quite a bit lately. And 57.4% of the Caucasians in our community have been vaccinated. The zero to 17 year old group is still the lowest because they've just come on board the soonest, uh, but only 15.5% of them. And what I'm hearing from out in the world is that the uh, vaccinate, vaccination efforts among those who are 12 to 15 years old it's being picked up very well. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but again, that's only a very short time that it's been available. 50.2% of the people who are between 18 and 49 years old are at least partially vaccinated. And that's where I think we have our biggest problems. Um, the people who are over uh, 50 and over 65, uh, for the 50 to 64-year-olds, we've vaccinated 72.7%. 72.5%, and for those over 65, 72.7%. So we're doing very well getting the vaccines out. I mean, it's slowed down compared to the early days. We were able to have these massive vaccine clinics where people came in by the, you know, many hundreds, and that has slowed down for many, many reasons, I'm sure. Uh, but we were among the first counties to realize that and went to a much slower, or not slower, more rapid, but smaller model. So we have at any one time, we're having between one and more often three clinics a day in different parts of the county with our traveling team. Uh, and we can go over the details of where they are this week if you'd like. Um, but that's the summary right now. couple um, questions for uh, you.
0: Um, you, okay. uh, you said earlier in the week in the video with Dr. Dewan that testing numbers are dangerously low. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, during the, uh, you know, the winter months, uh, between November, December to probably February, we had to fight initially to get the OptumServe on board. And then when UCSF pulled out their back, their testing for the clinics, they were left without any testing. We had to fight to get OptumServe to travel around, but we were vaccinating over 400 per day on average. That's a lot. And we did better than the rest of the state in many ways. However, now we're down to in the range of 100, and some days less than that, significantly so less than that. And so when we had. Right, I think two- you
0: said we were vaccinating 400 a day. You meant we were testing 400 a day. That's what I'm testing, yeah. Okay. And that's 100, less than 100 a day. That's with all of the testing going on uh, in yeah. the county, and that's just a daily average. Yes. Wow. That is really low.
1: Yeah. So. And it's by testing that we find really asymptomatic people, one there, one there, you know, and um, and then we can protect their families, their loved ones, uh, the people they work with or go to school with. When we find that, we, you know, we can mitigate those potential outbreaks. And a lot of the illness is non-symptomatic or pre-symptomatic. And so it gives us a real handle on what's happening in our community and a, a way to control it. The other thing it does is it gives us an insight into these new variants that are happening in california and around the world um in california uh you know we have all of the variants of the world are represented here but clearly the uh the newer variants that initially were california predominated we now have the uh, uk variant the one from great britain which travels faster it's more contagious and it uh, causes more uh, illness, so it's it's more virulent, and that is definitely becoming the predominant variant in California. So there's still native variety, but the but the variant, the California variant, which was very predominant a month or two ago, has now been superseded by the UK variant, and they have a big um, outbreak in neighboring uh, Humboldt County from that variant and the south africa variant that we worry about quite a bit uh had a, a an outbreak in shasta and another outbreak uh, has happened in marin with that indian double mutant variant and we're still watching that it's uh it sounds more terrible than it may be there's you're still looking into that it's not yet considered a variant of concern in california though it has been cited that it's a variant of concern for the united you know cdc calls it that but it, it all the all the data is not in yet in any case it's very important we can see what's happening in india so it's it's scary
0: all right the other thing i was hoping we could hear uh, about is i know there have been a number of vaccine events at schools this week and can you tell us how those are going
1: actually the school vaccine effort is going very well um So the the, uh, kids are coming in and their family, their parents are coming in a little bit more. Uh, They're not large numbers that come in because it's a percentage of the different classes. Uh, But we have had um, lots and lots of those vaccines events, vaccine events around the county. And uh, coming up next week, let me just say what it's looking like. So our supply is uh, is is adequate now and uh the barrier there are very few barriers of verification we're using self-attestation uh you know we're allowing walk-ins because again we have enough we have enough vaccines and we're actually giving rewards now so people getting donuts cups of coffee you know freebies here um there have been game cards and things like that Uh, the merchants are pitching in however they can and we're we're getting more and more uh, and so that's that's pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, I saw um, that the Mendocino Cafe is going to have a vaccination event at the cafe this week.
1: Right. That's right. And, uh, and and they are. That's exciting. Lots more of the clinics that was initiated by uh, Mendocino Coast Clinic. But the clinics are also getting out and, you know, putting their people on the street and, and doing the vaccinations in their community. And they really know their communities. It's excellent. So we we love to work together with them. Um, let me just see where. I, yeah. So for the county, let's go through those. We have Eagle Peak today and Pomolita today. Uh, fairgrounds tomorrow, and uh, Monday it's South Valley High and then Point Arena. On Tuesday it's Willits High and then the Willits Commercial District, and uh, on Wednesday it's Spy Rock and then back to the Fairgrounds. And uh, on Thursday we're doing Orchard Avenue Project Home Key. And Mendocino Presbyterian Church after that. And on Friday, I don't have the schedule for the county clinics quite yet. But they'll they'll put one in. And then the clinics. I'm sorry, Babe, did you want to add something? Well, I just wanted to mention that um, I think
2: right now they're doing the first dose Pfizer at Ukiah High until 5 o'clock today. So there's Great. still time to, to head on down to the high school. Great. Yeah.
0: Cool. And hi to all of you folks out at Ukiah High getting your shots. That's cool. Yeah.
1: That's right. So the clinics also have their own uh, events. And uh, RCMS down in South Coast is doing Saturday. Um, I'm not going to go through all the specifics. We have them down here. But all the clinics, if you're nearby and you want to go, uh, they schedule their appointments as well as doing walk-ins. And they're, pop- they're doing pop-ups with many employers Mendocino Community Coast, Mendocino Coast Clinic uh, is doing the high school and middle school in Fort Bragg today, uh, and then a drive-through clinic with Moderna uh, on Monday. I think that is, and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson at the Mendocino Cafe, and on Saturday the Catholic Church in Fort Bragg. Anderson Valley, Thursdays, they usually do it at their clinics. And they're also having a clinic at the high school and in the afternoon. Uh, and then Bechtel Creek usually does Fridays. They like you to call in, but if you come in, they're going to shoot you up. Laytonville, they do Tuesdays and Fridays regularly. And uh on uh let's see, uh, they're doing some Pfizer clinics and second dose Moderna Clinics and Johnson Johnson is also available. And Round Valley Health Center, at this point next week, they don't have something scheduled yet, but they're jumping on board. Everybody wants to do it. Everybody wants it to be done. It's not only reaching out to the kids, but the kids, of course, are dragging their parents along or vice versa. And, uh, and we're sort of offering it to them as well.
0: That's great. And you can find the county's events, at least, listed out very um, very clearly at MendocinoCounty.org. It's really uh, the, fir- the first dose and the second dose events are, are kind of grouped together at MendocinoCounty.org. So let me just reintroduce you. This is Alicia Bales. I'm live in the Ukiah studio and on the line is Dr. Andy Corin, of course, our Mendocino County Public Health Officer. And we also have Trey Strickland here, who is the DOC manager, stepped in after Becky Emery did her one year tour of duty. And now, uh, Trey is in charge of the, the DOC. And Trey, I wanted to talk to you, um, about, you know, we, we were at zero cases for a while there, and that was an exciting couple of weeks. Um, but now, and, and I guess that for the contact tracing and case investigation that, that is within your purview at the DOC, um, you could scale that down. But now it sounds like we are in, I don't know if it's a wave or a mini surge or whatever you want to call it, but we have many more cases, many more people are in isolation and quarantine so that your job now suddenly scales back up and you have to respond instantly. So can you talk about how it's going with the case investigation and the contact tracing uh, and where you're finding these, these new cases are coming from?
2: So our Contact tracing team. We do utilize a lot of state staff that are helping with contact tracing uh, during the week, um, so we do have plenty of staff available for when um, you know when we do have more cases to investigate, and uh, and we have county staff uh, available as well. Um, so our concern now is to make sure that we're identifying the the higher risk cases. You know, someone who tests positive, who stays home most of the time, has very few close contacts. Well, that's pretty low risk versus somebody who might be, you know, working with the public, who is working for several days after having, after being symptomatic, and then finally gets tested, finds out they're positive, and then they potentially have a lot of different close contacts to, 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 to go after. Um, so we're making a concerted effort to identify those cases that pose the highest risk to make sure that we're following through, um, getting them um, into isolation and, and quarantine. Um, and you know the cases are, you know, they're still kind of all over the place. We, I think, we're seeing some more household cases where the entire household, you know, the parents and an infant, um, are all test positive. Uh, and we've had some cases up up north uh, where we might have some community members <coughs> that are coming in from out of the area, um, um, part of the, the northern farming community. Um, and we I know we've had some difficulty with contact tracing with folks that don't want to give a location or, or a phone number or the names of close contacts Um, so that that makes it more difficult too because to really keep this under control we need to find we need to identify everybody who's positive and has close contacts to make sure that they get into isolation and quarantine um, so that we can prevent the, the you know the spread so that we don't have surges and outbreaks because um you know this isn't just a linear progression everything gets better on june 15th we still have the potential to 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 step backwards and we're trying to avoid that and we just have to keep vigilant in in our contact investigation contact tracing uh to make sure that we are getting the people that need to be in isolation quarantine there so we can protect everybody else
0: all right. And I know you were following some outbreak or an outbreak among student athletes. How are the student athlete numbers doing right now? Is that, um, have there been any more cases among among those folks?
1: I don't think in the last couple of days we've seen any more athletes. Um, we did have, uh, or at least with that one outbreak. Let me just take a look at this. Um, but there, there have been some cases at the, um, uh, another high school. So, so that's, that's a concern we're looking at. And, um, of course, that affects their whole class. And that's, it's a problem at this end of the school year, uh, that they're all considered close contacts at this point. So, So that's a problem. And, uh, and you know, I I just also want to add that when we call people and they refuse to talk to us or answer the phone or give us the names of their contacts, not only does it put their contacts and those contacts, contacts at risk, but the other reason why we do the contact investigation is to see who needs help, who can't go to work, who needs some food, who needs some housing to keep separate, you know, from the other members of their family. So, we, we are a service agency and, uh, you know, it, it, I, it, I'm sure it feels very uncomfortable for some people. Um, but if there's a disease going around, our primary reason for being is to try and protect the community against that infection. So this is just one of the techniques that we use. We use it in a pandemic. It's very effective, uh, but we can, it can't be effective if the community is not supporting it and helping us with that. So we want to put a call out to people to, cooperate if you're called really it's it's very important
0: you're like public doctors basically
1: yeah well we it's <laughs> we're we're trying to look up to the health care of the community let's put it that way it's very different than my job as a doctor doctor uh but yes we're we're doing everything we can to diagnose the problem and then to control it and uh, make sure it doesn't spread it doesn't get worse
0: all right. Well, before we open up the phone lines for listeners questions, um, can you just comment on uh, the concerns you have in the open letter that you wrote um, thinking about the CDC guidance that, you know, nobody needs to mask if they're vaccinated versus uh, what's happening with state policy and the upcoming June 15th um, elimination of the tiered system and how Mendocino fits into all of that in your estimation?
1: So, you know, the the science is, is very clear. Vaccinations are extremely effective. And and I think that is where the uh, president and the CDC and Governor Newsom, you know, were responding to. The vaccinations are excellent. And they're the light at the end of the tunnel. They are the source of hope. But on the other hand, doing it this soon, it was not good policy. And so the CVPH, the uh, California Department of Public Health said, wait a minute, let's do it, but let's give ourselves another month. Why? Because we want to give ourselves another month to really fully vaccinate as many as we possibly can, you know, the people who are willing, and and make a bigger imprint, which we think then will ma- make us a little bit more community resistant to the virus. Not totally, we still have a ways to go, but it will give us a better edge. The other thing, by waiting a month, it gives us um a chance to prepare industry prepare people um for what's coming ahead and make sure that the the uh people have an understanding of what they need to do so the cdph therefore said wait a minute let's keep on the same program with our masks uh and our and our uh, separation just so we don't pass it around more uh we don't know that this is the only thing so good science question about the policy whether it's good, you know, science is good in the laboratory, it makes sense. And, you know, the whole country is our laboratory in a sense. But but when we apply that knowledge to the whole country, we put at risk people who have not been vaccinated. And, and many people, you wouldn't know if they're vaccinated or not. We're not, you know, we're not. Uh, there's a limit to how much we can investigate and post that and separate people at work. And then the the uh, CDPH is also has its authority uh, for the general public, but not within hospitals, not within workplaces. So the um, so Cal OSHA gets involved with that. And there's another branch of the California Department of Public Health that addresses um, that addresses the unique situations that healthcare workers face in hospitals and in uh, and in nursing homes and so on because they're at higher risk and they're around people who are at higher risk. Um, so that has to, and, and we're concerned here in Mendocino for the reason we were just talking about there. We are not in the same trajectory as California. And so we're unique in that respect and I'm glad we're putting it off. Hopefully we will get those numbers back down and we'll back, be back in sync with California. But there may be outbreaks in other counties as well that could happen in the next period of time. Remember as a small county, little differences, cause big bumps in those graphs, but they also affect our community a lot more. So we have to look at that. And it's understanding all that, that the CDPH wanted to hold off on the masking order changes. There's still, we have a fairly liberal, but appropriate uh, masking order in place now. So we're sticking with that. As far as the beyond the blueprint is being called now, it's not dropping all those orders, but it's beyond the blueprint. I just got hot off the press uh the uh, in, uh instructions that are now posted in the california department of public health regarding that time and so the california department of public health wants themselves and i can tell you the health officers also want to be out of the business of heavy duty regulations industry-wide so what they're coming down to is that there will be verification of vaccination or of a negative test for mega events indoors. Those are pretty much defined as greater than 5,000. Outdoor events, which are defined more as greater than 10,000, will also require vaccine verification or negative testing. As far as capacity goes, which remember we have gotten to the minimal tier on the blueprint, but there are still some restrictions. Restrictions will go away when the blueprint goes away. So, we're thinking again, I'm going to say it again, it's not tomorrow or today, it's June 15th. Um, and then physical distances, uh, physical distancing will not be an issue, uh, or a requirement by CDPH at that point. And that'll be for either customers or guests. Again, what happens in the workplace is much more an issue for Cal OSHA. And, uh, you know, em- uh, employees are rightfully concerned. How will they be protected? Masks will continue to be the current CDPH guidance for for mat- facial coverings. Traveling will also continue to follow the recommendations of the CDC and the CDPH. Um, We certainly don't want to send people on airlines who are infected, and we don't want to bring people back who have an infection (coughs) into our communities without understanding, you know, without the appropriate testing or knowing that they're vaccinated. Um, And I think it's gotten down to that simple. Now, there will be some discussions About um, well, what can employer ask of their employee in terms of saying whether they are vaccinated or not? I can tell you that in some of our smaller work environments, people want to be able to take off their mask at a break or when they eat in a a break room, Uh, and you know they're they're going around and they'll say, "Are you vaccinated? Are you vaccinated? You vaccinated to feel safe, but it's it's not you know it's not it's not a complete uh, um, system." And whether everybody can do it or whether somebody's going to feel well, that's an invasion of my privacy. There are some uh, there are some rules about that. In fact, I just had printed out something from uh, the Department of They're all departments. <laughs> uh, it's Fair Practices and Housing in Labor and Housing, and and there is precedent for asking people what their uh, you know what their vaccine status is or something like that. So it's not illegal. But generalizing it so that it is more acceptable and, and it's covered is work that still has to be done in the next month. There has been, you know, discussions about vaccine verification, like ID cards. And there are problems with that from the point of view of equity. Who can get them? Who can't? Uh, will they cost money? There are problems with forgery of those as well as the vaccine cards. Um, and there are problems with will it work in my county and not your county? imperial county is actually floating something it's a um what are they call uh it's it's not a uh a band that but it's one of those um marks i can't remember what they're called uh trevor you're the you're the uh you're the the uh it guy so you're more familiar with it you know they're they, um they're those little marks that you can put your camera up to and, and click a picture of rfid and, yeah i think that's what it is so there are things like that but that can be forged and um, and if it's good in Mendocino County, and I think they're trying that in Imperial County. But if they do it in Imperial County and it's accepted, is it going to be good in San Diego County? Is it going to be good for the whole state? If it's good for the state, it will be good for the next state? So the best thing would be for it to be a national you know program, and that hasn't that hasn't come out yet. Uh, the other thing that this Beyond the Blueprint recommends is that people sign up for CA Notified. I don't know if you've heard about that, but it's an app you put on your phone, and um, you record what your status is, and people record their status when they get their uh, vaccination or when they get their uh, testing, and um, <clears throat> it picks up people around them as they walk around who are also on CA Notify who may have tested positive even before they know it. So before you know, it goes to you know their provider or the tester or whatever comes off the lab the lab is inputting to CA notify. It's all secure system, but that means that their phone is then hot. And my phone can pick it up and say, Hey, Corin, you've been right next to this guy for a good 15 minutes. You better do something.
0: It's it's kind of so, like a, a Marauder's map from Harry Potter, where you're all like walking <laughs> around. But if you walk by someone who's hot, a little alarm goes off or something. Yeah,
1: kind of, sort of. I don't know if it actually maps other people out, but if you get close enough, it's, in a, you know, it's like a little magnet. You know, think know, about it as a magnet or something.
0: And this sounds outrageous to those of us who are over 20 years old. But, I mean, the kids have all these apps where they know where everybody is at all times. It's like privacy right. concerns have gone out the window in the younger generations. It's wild. Yeah. Anyway. Um, This is KZYX. It is our Friday Q&A about the coronavirus with our Mendocino County Public Health Officer, Dr. Andy Corin, And we also have our DOC manager, Trey Strickland, here with us and Trevor in the background keeping things on track. I'm Alicia Bales and we are going to open up the phone lines if that's okay with you guys. Yeah, You ready? Uh, We can still keep talking about the Marauder's Map, the vaccination Marauder's Map, if we want. Um, We are here uh, live, and you can call at 707-895-2448. That's 707-895-2448, and we have our first call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air.
3: Uh, Yeah, hi. I had a question. Uh, If I've been exposed to... A person with COVID How long should I wait to get a test?
1: If you know that you're exposed Then you don't have to wait To get a test You should make sure that you're quarantined From other people And you can get a test You know, It's probably going to turn positive Over the next one to three days So waiting a little bit is good uh, To get tested To be more accurate But waiting is not good if you're contagious And you may be already Does that
0: answer your question? I think he took his answer on the air.
1: Okay.
0: All right. Phone lines are open, 707-895-2448. That's 895-2448. We have on the line Dr. Andy Corrin, our Mendocino County Public Health Officer, and Trey Strickland, who is the DOC Manager. These are two of the most knowledgeable people in our county about the state of things uh, with the coronavirus here uh including testing and vaccination and also any questions you might have about the virus anything you're unclear about we also have um the cdc and the state guidelines and the local guidelines all trying to make sense to each other and that's a an interesting and, and challenging thing in, in this phase of of the pandemic so let's take our next call hey caller you're live on the air hello caller you are live Hello. Hello. Am I live? You are live. Go right ahead. Oh, okay. I would like to know how much protection one-shot people, people who
1: just take the first Pfizer or Moderna and don't want to get the second. I think take that. Um, so that is not a thoroughly understood um, fact. Uh, it's very high, but how long... So. If the Pfizer and Moderna are 95% effective, I have heard uh, reports that one do- one shot can be up to 80 or 85%, uh, something less than that is possible, but there are different studies. Uh, the problem is we don't know what uh, how effective that is against transmission or how long it will last. And so the recommendation, and, and it may not be effective enough uh, to zap out any variants that you may encounter. So, you know, the, um, a long time ago, Great Britain decided that they had to get their population completely vaccinated. They only had a limited supply, and they changed the, um, they didn't change it to one dose, but they changed the interval between the doses uh, to lengthen it so that there was more time to give more vaccines to more people. And, and that worked well. Uh, But here in the United States, we're certainly not in a supply shortage time. And uh, we want to get people completely vaccinated to make sure we knock out the variants if they come and that it lasts as long as we possibly can make it last. Thank you. So they can get a second shot at any time? It doesn't dissipate after two weeks? Yes, that's true. So that's also important. We're instructing our people that if someone... This is the day that they were supposed to get their vaccine. There's no difference if they're, you know, a few days before, a few days after, but also if let's say they completely forgot or there was some reason they couldn't get the the, vac- the second vaccine, they can come in a month later and we would give them their vaccine.
3: Okay, but we wouldn't thank
1: you. Keep up the series. Sure.
0: All right. Thanks for that call caller. Is there any point at which you might start over?
1: Not at this point. There's no recommendation for giving three shots of the same you know, vaccine. So at this point, I've checked that for other reasons. And uh, Moderna and Pfizer are sort of holding steady. This is what we want. One and then the second shot, and we'll see.
0: And we don't have any news about a, a booster at this point, a, a third shot, because it's the, the vaccine durability is starting to wane or anything like that.
1: We haven't seen any of the vaccine efficacy wane, uh, but I can tell you that the pharmaceutical companies are definitely working on boosters because they want to see if they can get something more effective for the variants that are circulating as well. I mean, these are effective against the variants, but it may turn out that there's going to be another variant. So they're looking you know, at the different kinds of mutations that there are and uh, trying to make sure they can cover that as well as possible
0: all right it's 707-895-2448 that's 895-2448 this is our friday afternoon local coronavirus update uh, we like to invite members of the county's leadership squad who's been working on this coronavirus pandemic response since the very very beginning and we have trey strickland who's the doc manager and dr andy corin who's our public health officer here with us live to answer your questions and um if there are no calls, I will continue with my never-ending series of curiosities. I just never get enough of this stuff, apparently. Um, and I was wondering if, um, talking about vaccinations, I know that at a certain point, Blue Shield took over for the administration of the of the vaccines. I guess it took over from the state distributing them uh, to the counties. Has that happened? And, and what is the effect of that, if any? What have you noticed?
1: Well, the counties in the state had done a very good job to begin with, but the state wanted to say, look, we want an intermediary who can administer the distribution of the vaccine. That's really what happened. And uh, it's it has been going well. They also developed the appointment system that was consistent with the entire uh, state. So my turn, you could list a vaccine clinic, in San Diego and if we were traveling down to San Diego, we could, you know, we could see on that same my turn system where the clinics near me. Or, you know, if I was up here in Mendocino, I could see which so my turn was very useful. And because all of the energy was put into my turn, the access to the vaccines became a little simpler. They're in multiple, multiple languages now. Uh, they've gone from where you could you know you could restrict the vaccines you got to just your county to now opening it up. There was a time where you could only get a vaccine within your own county. Um, there are consent forms online for my turn. But overall, the rollout, although any new system, and I will say, especially an IT system, has its bumps and drags, and, and it's going to be a, a problem to begin with. Uh, they're pulling out of that now, and I think there's much more consistent, um, you know, uh, trust in the system um and and it's it is easier to make appointments it's phone as well as it available and there's a phone call uh that you can get assistance to make your appointment there they're also um organizing vaccines for individual people who may be stuck at home they're also toning down from the giant clinics because they realize that's not where it's at to some people and counties just can't get People can't get into a clinic and the counties don't have the mm-hmm. personnel powers. Thankfully we do, but other counties are really stuck uh, and they can't get all the people that are um, stuck at home, uh, their vaccines. And so my turn is arranging that um, and doing a
3: very good job of it.
0: All right. We do have a caller. Hello caller. You are now live on the air. Thanks for waiting.
3: Hi guys. Thanks for the show. I'm uh a coffee shop owner in Willits and, uh, I just wanted to check in. I don't know if this is not exactly your bailiwick, but I just wanted to just sort of run over what I'm doing. I, I've just opened up the last three days. I got 50% of my, uh, of my seating capacity in and well spread. Uh, I have <laughs> Uh, fans that are blowing along the floor into, and into the corners, and then blowing along the ceiling, and being sucked through uh, through an exhaust fan that usually is my uh, my heater return, and going through a uh, a very fine filter. I have a complete screen all the way around my kitchen. My people are wearing masks. I ask people to, like, wear masks in and out. They're, of course, not wearing masks and eating. And I was just checking in on, you know, best practices. Uh, the brick house is really important for me to make sure that uh, everybody who comes in here has a premium experience and also is well protected uh, by everything that I could do. So what do you think, guys?
1: Well, I'll take that. It sounds like you're doing very good, sir. I don't know your name. I'm glad you asked that question rather than how do you cook the best coffee because I'm not the expert on that. I would add a couple of things. One is the ventilation. You have to be a little bit careful you're not blowing the virus around. So if you're turning your HVAC system to um, expel more air uh, and you're not, you know, you're not raising, these are particles. You're not raising dust particles around. You're doing the right thing. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't have in my mind a picture of how you described a fan along the floor, uh, but that could be a risk. We, we want to sort of keep the, the ventilation, the, the turnover of, um, of the air, uh, to be as, as good as it can. Uh, so we ask people to open windows and doors. That's a good way to ventilate without blowing around with fans directed at people or directed at the floor. So that would be something that comes up in my mind. Um, and then you want to post at the at the outside of your uh, of your uh, coffee shop. What are the what are the recommendations? What are the rules? What are you doing? Um, and then you also want to have some hand sanitizers. Make sure people know they can use the hand sanitizers. And there's a regular pattern uh, for cleaning up the place. Um, and then the other thing is that um, you know, for example, if people need sugar or creamers or things like that. They should be individually packaged rather than having people handle, for example, a creamer in a, in a pouring thing like we used to do or a sugar uh, dispenser or something like that. So, so you want to keep people's touch um, exposure to the virus to the minimum also. And you can see all this recommenda- these recommendations online. Are you Internet savvy? You know how to get out uh, on the Internet? I have people that are. Okay. So you look at uh, CDPH in California, and then uh, uh, industry guidance COVID. Put in some of those words, and you'll wind up at the right place.
3: I hope. Okay, well that's great. I uh, we we do make sure that there's nothing that goes onto the floor that goes back behind the red line where the kitchen is. So uh, that's good. And we put we uh, we we put all of the all of the. Uh, the, the uh, accoutrement that you would take for coffee in behind the counter and then bring it out but thanks for the thanks for the heads up and i'll look into that uh making sure that i'm pulling most of my air off of the out of the out of the windows and stuff i think that's a great idea thank you guys
1: thanks
3: caller hey, did i leave anything out I uh, well, well i do kind of have something else it's like uh, I understand that, that our, our county has gone from yellow to, uh, possibly gonna be sliding back up the scales because we've had some, uh, we've had some more people that have come down with the, with the virus or tested positive. And so is that actually coming around? And, and, I, and so that would probably affect, once again, the functionality and how I can run my shop. So you know, we, were, because, uh, we were talking
1: about that earlier on this show, and we do have a significant increase in the number of cases. Um, the state has not moved us back from the least restrictive yellow tier back to the orange tier yet. Uh, that probably won't be for another week or two if it happens. Uh, there are a lot of factors that go into that, but it is important to notice from the from the numbers that we have that the uh, the the counties, um, you know, the illnesses in the county are going up, and so it's a, it's a virus that's prevalent. Our case positivity rate has gone up quite a bit, and um, and so it's so uh, yes, it, we're not doing as well as we were doing a few weeks ago, but it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be orange. Uh, we hope not. So we want to we want to be careful. If we were to move to orange, there are a few things that people would not be able to do that they have been able to do in the yellow tier, but for the most part, the major effect for most of us in most situations would be the capacity limit.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Wouldn't we lose right. the movie theater? Pardon me? I'm wondering if um, if we would lose, uh, the, I know the movie theaters are starting to mm-hmm. open
3: up this year. Because our little movie theater here has like they've been like champs, and they just opened up, and the community they've 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 done some work in there, and it, and it looks pretty good, and the community's been pretty responsive. And uh, yeah, were- that would be quite that would be quite a blow to the poor to the poor theater owners. But I know we have to be safe, so. But anyway,
0: all right. I, I do know. have another call, caller. Thank you so much for the call, and congratulations on opening back up.
3: Yeah, I've been here for three days, so I'd like to see it like. At least for, for a whole week or something. Oh, so maybe right. you yeah, you will. maybe.
0: Willits is grateful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. The movie, theater,
1: the movie theater capacity changes between orange and yellow, but they can be open indoors also, even in orange.
0: All right. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Hi. You keep on using an acronym, and so far I don't think you've um, explained what it
1: is. It's DOC, and many of us don't know what the DOC is. Good point.
0: Great. Trey, you want to take that one?
1: Sure.
2: DOC stands for the Department Operations Center. And it is a little confusing. At the beginning of the incident, we had an emergency operations center, which basically performs pretty much the same functions. Um, But as a public health event, um, at at some point it was determined that we could move the EOC um, over to the DOC, and, and I guess in a lot of regards, um, it, it's, it's, it's semantics, um, but the Department Operations Center, uh, the DOC oversees um, probably 10 different sections of, of, of response. We have planning, operations, liaisons, logistics, finance, um, public information. Um, and those are FEMA designations um, for, our, for our response. Um, so the Department Operations Center just means it's been moved primarily uh, over to public health to respond uh, since the pandemic is a public health event.
0: Caller, it's a, it's a, is that helpful uh, at all? Yeah so sort of. which department though? Good question. Which department, Trey?
2: Well, the, the department is public health, um, but we're also we you know we, we try to stick within public health, but um, we're also borrowing staff from from throughout the county um, when necessary in the Health and Human Services Agency, uh, but primarily we're trying to respond with our public health staff in the DOC because it is a public health event.
0: So when we have disasters, you open up the EOC, or the Emergency Operations Center, but because this disaster sort of became permanent, you switched it over to a DOC, but it, it essentially has the same function, right? You're, you're handling the emergency response, even though it's a long-term response to the pandemic.
2: Yes, and let's not say permanent, we'll say long-term.
0: Okay. <laughs> Feels permanent, but is not. We will, we will someday not be in a pandemic.
1: So, all right. so we, we compare it. Okay, so thank compare, you. Oh, I'm sorry. We compare it to the fire, and that is a countywide emergency because everybody throughout is is affected, and and it's all hands on deck. But the operations center is a methodology of organizing, you know, from finance down to going out and getting things, logistics, um, and it, and it is the same. For this county, as for other counties, for other states around the country, it's a, it's a methodology of organizing themselves. And I'm just a newcomer to this, so I can't say it any more than that. But I hope that helps, everybody.
0: All right, let's take our next call. Hey, caller, you are live on the air.
3: Yeah, hi. I had a couple questions. Um, just things that some of the things that seemed a bit off. So, like at the beginning of the pandemic,
1: there were a lot of outbreaks in. Um, elderly care facilities, despite family not being able to visit. And I thought that was about the fact that they'd be taken care of by RNs and CNAs and the outbreaks were happening there so often. Um, One other thing is, like, how with schools reopening,
3: they reduced the six-feet separation to three feet for children, even though children have been sort of considered potential asymptomatic
1: carriers throughout the pandemic that seemed very concerning to me and my last question would be uh has it been concerning to you at all throughout this whole thing how orwellian it has seemed at times all politics aside thank
0: you all right good questions caller thank you
1: well before i get to orwellian and start asking him to define his terms uh, let's first do the the uh, the skilled nursing facilities. Uh, and acute care hospitals was one of the major reasons that we declared this emergency in order to protect uh, those facilities. So our community actually had healthcare uh, when they needed it. Uh, but the skilled nursing facilities are filled with people who are much more vulnerable. They're elderly, they've had illnesses, they're recovering from illnesses, and so they're much more likely to have um, an illness and Nothing is perfect. So even though we tried to institute uh, masking and distancing and sequestering people who were affected into one hallway, whereas, you know, the people who showed no signs of infection in the early days had negative testing, they were in another hallway. We, we really tried to separate them. Um, there still would be outbreaks and an outbreak in one, a, a illness in one person, either a staff member or a family member coming in, could spread through the whole facility. And there's where you saw an awful lot of outbreaks is in those nursing homes and long-term care facilities. <laughs> um, when the outbreak, when the pandemic was at its worst, uh, people couldn't even visit. They, the, the state said, no, nursing homes, you shouldn't even have visitors. Hospitals can have visitors. What a hardship that is when you have a loved one in the hospital or in a nursing home and you actually can't visit them except with a Zoom call. Uh, and these are people who, for one reason or another, probably need even more visitation and more attention. But in order to protect everyone in the institution, visitation went down. And we found, unfortunately, that staff members also brought the infections in. When we started having vaccinations, the the hospital, hospital staff workers, and people who lived in long-term care facilities and nursing homes were among the first to be prioritized because they were getting sicker, they were filling up our hospitals, uh, they were more vulnerable. And also we were treating the healthcare workers who were most exposed and could bring it to the people who were the most vulnerable. So that's when we had our, um, you know, our eligible people for vaccines and we prioritized those people. And many, many, many less people have gotten affected in the skilled nursing facilities or, or long-term care facilities. With the schools, uh, similar kind of thing before we knew much, We wanted to maintain six foot of distance between people. And uh, as we found out more, there is actually less um, transmissibility uh, by the students. Really the people who transmitted within the schools were the staff and the teachers. And so by maintaining six foot of distance between them and the strict masking rules and cohorts that were in place, we've cut down the contagion within the schools quite a bit. And uh, But we weren't able to fit all the kids back into the schools. So, you know, you had a trade-off, and we said, well, no, we can get back to three feet between kids and get more kids into in-person learning, which is healthier, uh, but we should still maintain the six-foot distance between staff members and from, uh, from the children to the staff when they could. I hope that answers it. The Orwellian thing, I'm not going to answer right now.
0: (laughs) I kind of want to put a pin in the Orwellian question until Monday and see what Dr. Colfax has to say about it, because I can think Uh, of a lot of Orwellian wrinkles in this pandemic, especially during the last administration. But I'm not sure that's what the caller was getting at, and I would love to have a longer conversation about it. So um, we just have about 90 seconds left. So I think I'm going to let you guys go, and thank you very much for being on KZYX again live this week. It's really incredibly valuable to let our listeners have access to directly ask you their questions we do the best that we can but everybody around the county has their own questions and confusions and it's just wonderful that you are here and and willing to answer them i mean now we got a good definition of the doc i've been wanting that for 16 months now so thank you so much and um, i'm gonna say goodbye and put on just a couple seconds of music before we head on into democracy now
1: Thank you very much for giving us the opportunity.
0: Take care, and we will have your uh, county briefing next week, the same time, the same place. Hope you do. Take care. Thanks,
2: Alicia. Thanks, Dr. Korn. Thanks, Trevor.
0: All right, thank you, Trey. And that was Trey Strickland of the DOC and our public health officer, Dr. Andy Corin. I'm Alicia Bales, like I said, I'll be back with you on Monday at three o'clock with Dr. Drew Colfax and the local coronavirus update, taking more of your questions about the coronavirus pandemic and more. And then we will uh, bring the county's briefing to you at three o'clock next Friday. Uh, and I wanna thank you all for calling and for listening and for continuing to be vigilant and stay informed about what you can do to um, keep yourself informed about the pandemic and keep you and your family safe. Take care. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXMZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ and Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.